listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. A podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing. Educating. Empowering. Improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's episode, what does the long-term care insurance market look like for agents in 2020 and into the future? November is Long-Term Care Awareness Month, and I recently had the opportunity to talk with two long-term care experts, remotely, of course. Bob Vandy, president of Advisors Insurance Brokers, or AIB for short, and Mike Baker from here at Ritter Insurance Marketing. He's officially our director of product sales, but he has an extensive background in ancillary products, including long-term care solutions. I learned so much about long-term care insurance during this interview. I'm excited for you to learn more about this coverage area and some strategies for how to sell it. Without giving too much more away ahead of time, here's our conversation. Well, thank you, both of you, for joining us here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast today. November is National Long-Term Care Insurance Month, so who better really to talk to about long-term care insurance than our two industry experts, We have Bob Vandy, president of Advisors Insurance Brokers, and Mike Baker, our director of product sales here at Ritter Insurance Marketing. Now, AIB and Ritter have been working together for a little over a year now, correct? Right. Correct. Okay. And that partnership provides agents with long-term care support. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that partnership? Mike, I'll let you kick that off. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, looked uh, about, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, Sarah, a year or so ago uh, at, you know, the support and services that we're able to provide in, in certain product channels. And one of the things that we, we recognized was if we were going to be able to provide best in class service, you know, we probably needed to look uh, maybe to a strategic partner uh, that's going to a kind of align with us philosophically and be able to maybe expand our product portfolio, but also enhance the service and support that we provide to our agents, uh, in particular with, with long-term care. And having uh, you know, a, long, a long familiarity with you know, Bob and some of the other folks at uh, AIB, uh, you know, it just made, it made a lot of sense for us to, to form that uh, alliance you know, a year or so ago and you know, couldn't be couldn't be more happy than you know than than it's been over the last 12 months. We've gotten uh, lots of lots of very positive feedback from the agents. Uh, it's helped us build our our long time our long term care business. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's been a very very good and profitable and fruitful relationship for for everybody. <laughs> well, that sounds great, Bob. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that? that Mike did a great job of, of uh, stealing almost all of my thunder. Yeah, no, I, I'm kidding. He, uh, he hit the nail on the head. It's uh, We're thrilled with the way that the uh, strategic relationship is going from our standpoint as well. Um, it's funny, we've numerous times, either Mike and or I have said that one of the things that we thought was the fact that we have similar cultures in our organizations and I think it's valid to say that those like, kind, and quality cultures, if you will, 
have helped bolster the strength of our relationship over this last year, year and a half uh, since we kicked it off. So yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that we brought to the table that's relevant to our conversation today, especially, is given the nature of what we do on the long-term care planning side. I mean, we do other lines. We do a lot of the higher end life insurance and, and annuity business and so forth. But given the change that we've seen with long-term care planning in general, Sarah, and the fact that it's not all about traditional long-term care insurance anymore, the, you know, the, the products that combine life insurance or annuity benefits with long-term care, we've had experience with both of those product lines in depth for quite a period of time. So to step into that realm has been uh, quite simple and quite easy for us. So the timing of it I think made a lot of sense relative to our discussion today about long-term care planning and in particular, long-term care insurance awareness. Absolutely. Now you touched on a couple of the different products that AIB represents. Long-term care is certainly what we're kind of focused on here today, but what are the other types of coverage that AIB represents? Well, it's it's funny. It gets, actually gets fuzzy sometimes, Sarah, in the sense that while, again, germane to our discussion today, certainly the long-term care planning, that can take the flavor of what I would call the traditional long-term care insurance product. But when you add in the life insurance products that have the long-term care or sometimes called chronic illness riders or the annuity products with predominantly the long-term care riders, it gets a little murky or fuzzy sometimes because you're maybe you're having a long-term care planning discussion, but maybe it really has found itself in root in a life insurance discussion. So we do we do a lot of life insurance. So we have found on numerous occasions where maybe the discussion started as a life insurance discussion, but the fact that that client and that agent have an interest in discussing long-term care planning or chronic illness or extended care planning in addition to the life insurance planning, has brought in some of those other products, in particular, like I say, with the life insurance and with the annuity. So in terms of the breadth of product that we support, it's everything from the more traditional life insurance products, the term, the whole life, the universal life, soon to be variable products, peak under the tent there. Um, and then also uh, encompassing the riders that present themselves in those products, the annuities, fixed annuities, indexed annuities, mm -hmm. you know, the immediate income annuities where somebody wants a steady, predictable, guaranteed income stream, or they're just looking to accumulate money. And again, the role that some of those long-term care riders can play in some of those products. Um, so really, those are the, the main focal points or, or focus lines, if you will, the life insurance, the long-term care insurance, the annuities, and we also do some disability income or income protection as well. Those are what we call our four core product lines, if you will. Okay. And Mike, how about the Ritter side of things? What products do we add to the partnership? You know, that's interesting. When I, you know, was preparing for the, the interview and I saw that as a question, I was like, hmm, that's interesting because, you know, when we, when we entered into this, we really kind of took a step back so that we could kind of focus on those core products that closely align with what Ritter really is focused on, and that's the Medicare. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but you know, as I look at as I look at the products that we have that uh, add to the relationship, I would say uh, I think I think our final expense <clears throat> products, I think our short-term care products, uh, in particular, kind of provide a safety net. Those are some conversations that we've recently had. You know, in looking at 
when cases get submitted and maybe can't find a home from an underwriting standpoint, you know, we want to be able to still be able to come back and provide some type of a solution, you know, for the client uh, if we can't get them through underwriting uh, on that first on that first option. So our final expense or short-term care uh, would be specific products that I think we bring to the partnership. I think the other thing that we bring to the partnership that we've tried to leverage our is our marketing team, which isn't really a product uh, <laughs> per se, but you know the value add of having the opportunity to do these types of interviews and, and, and work with with you with uh, the podcast, and we've done some things on the on the video side. So you know, I think those are services or I guess products, indirect products maybe <laughs> that uh, you know we try to leverage to to bring value, you know, some additional value to the partnership. Gotcha. Absolutely. Um, our marketing, you know, our marketing department can't say enough good things about them. So as I was going through doing some reading and research on long-term care, uh, one place I typically turn to is the annual insurance barometer study from Life Happens and from LIMRA. And for our listeners, that's the Life Insurance Marketing and Research Association. There are some interesting stats in that study. We'll definitely be linking to that in our episode notes. But according to this year's study, 66% of Americans say that most people do need long-term care insurance, but only 18% say they own it. And that seems like quite a gap between need and utilization, but also a huge opportunity for potential sales. Is there anything that you guys can sort of add as far as how you see that in the industry, if that's kind of one of the industry's biggest issues that agents are up against when they're selling long-term care? I'll take a stab at that. And, and first and foremost, Sarah, say absolutely. And you, the one of the challenges with it is that it unfortunately is not unique to long-term care. In other words, if you looked at LIMRA, and some of the other research that they've done, I think you would find, although not exact numbers, you'd find a similar situation with life insurance. You'd find a similar situation with disability insurance or income protection and what have you. The raw reality, as much as we hate to admit it, is that there is recognition of the importance to plan for some of those unforeseen events, whether it's a long-term care event, extended care, chronic care event, or a premature death or a disabling injury or illness, and we sometimes just don't like to think about those things. So intellectually, right, we understand it's out there. We see it. But let's face it, human nature being what it is, there's a big difference between recognizing it's out there as something I should be concerned with and taking action on it. And that's why I think there is that disconnect between those two statistics, which, frankly, I hate to say it, uh, but I'm, I'm not surprised to hear of that disconnect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we recognize it's there. It's one of those things what you aptly pointed out, by the way, Sarah, is that, you know, what is the Chinese character for uh, change? It's a combination of challenge and opportunity, right? That's exactly mm-hmm. what we have before us, in particular with long-term care planning. We have that challenge of recognizing that this is either A, something that's not necessarily top of mind with people, or B, mm-hmm. something they maybe want to stick their head in the sand about, I hate to put it that way. That's the challenge part. The opportunity is, as you put it, you know, when you have 18% of people that have actually taken steps, that means that 82% have not taken steps. So that gives us a very wide market swath of people that Ritter agents and others can be reaching out to and saying, hey, let's at least talk about this. Let's see what we might do to help you cover that base on your uh, planning field, if you will. 
Right. Now, when you think about it, you know, long-term care, it's not a product that you kind of wake up one day and, oh, I need long-term care. I need to buy that today. Um, There's not an age attached to it like there is with Medicare. So how do agents go about topic into a conversation with a client? Mike, you want to go for that one? Yeah. I mean, it it may be overly simplistic, but they, they ask the question, you know? I mean, it's really... You know, as Bob said, you know, it really has become part of the overall, theoretically, it should be part of the overall planning discussion, Mm -hmm. you know, that an agent is already having with their client, whether that's a financial planning conversation, whether that's a Medicare, you know, Medicare planning conversation, it really is asking the client the question, you know, if, if you were to get sick or if something did happen where you needed care for an extended period of time, what would your plan be? And then not, you know, not answering the question for the client and letting them answer the question and then following that question up with, well, how would you pay for that? And it's, you know, my, my recommendation to, a, to an agent is you've got to be patiently persistent with long-term care because it's not going to be the first time that you ask that question. Mm-hmm. It may be the second time or the third time or the sixth time that it comes up in conversation, but probably when they've had a personal experience that hits close to home, that's when they will wake up and say, I need long-term care insurance because it's usually that personal experience that ultimately drives you know, the conversation. Absolutely. Now, one thing that we're starting to see in the Medicare space is starting to have a lot of these conversations with our clients about kind of the end of life care earlier with the hospice carbon. Is there a similar process for LTC? Is there any sort of legislation or anything like that coming to help that out? Or is it really all on the agent to sort of get the process of LTC planning started with their clients? You know, that's that's a very interesting question, I would say, Sarah. And it and it really, boy, there are so many different directions we can take that. Not the least important of which is we can't intentionally or unintentionally disconnect private and public here. And what I mean by that is Medicare is as the folks like yourself and the Ritter universe as a whole know far better than I do. Boy, there's a connect there between the insurance product, the Medicare supplement or Medicare Advantage product, and the United States government, right? It's just the symbiosis that exists for that particular product. And so as these other benefits may crop up from time to time that find their way into the mix there, they get included to one degree or another in the conversation. What we found, the long-term care space works differently. There have been some instances, as you likely know, where uh, there's been effort to include, for instance, a home care benefit in certain Medicare Advantage plans and whatnot. I -hmm. think they've kind of had a little bit of a skip start. They haven't been really widely adopted in my observation. Mike, you know, may know that better than I, but in the purely long-term care planning world, there have been multiple efforts to try to do something at the government level, either the federal or the state level to handle the risk of long-term care Mm -hmm. and the consequences of long-term care. And unfortunately, there has just not been a silver bullet to be able to do that. Uh, You know, you got a lot of these blue ribbon commissions. We had the long-term care commission. We had the class act before that, that we don't really have time to get into today. And essentially what has happened all too often is we get some really bright people in the room 
either in Washington, D.C. or at the state capital level, figuratively or literally. And we have some really bright people that come up with some really great ideas. They put them on the table and then what happens? They start talking about the money. And in order for the federal and or state government to step in with any kind of meaningful pocketbook, it would be tremendously expensive to do that. So that for right or for wrong, for good or for bad, that sends the message intentionally or otherwise that it really is up to the individual to pre-plan for that event. So I know I went beyond the question of, you know, using hospice as an example there, Sarah, but it's more important than ever that clients are having that conversation as far in advance as possible specifically as it relates to long-term care. And to your previous question, that becomes increasingly important because to Mike's points, yes, integrate this into all of your conversations. You don't have to take 20 minutes and have a conversation, but merely asking the question about long-term care planning, what they may have done is vitally important. Having said that, we need to be cautious Because if I'm focusing my efforts in that Medicare market, which is going to be the 65 plus market, as the only market I have that conversation with, there could Mm -hmm. be some frustrations there because the pricing sometimes and underwriting considerations can present roadblocks that could frustrate the agent. There are ways around that that we can talk about, but it's another indication. And I would suggest a blue ocean strategy, in fact, where that Ritter agent can actually expand his or her market. Mm-hmm. by marketing down age, if you will, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, and whatnot, it can open up a potential other market they haven't even explored yet. Absolutely. And that's certainly something that we we do talk about a lot, trying to diversify, you know, not just your portfolio, but absolutely, if you can find more people outside of, you know, that 65 and over age group, you're really just going to be able to continue to grow your business. Now, getting back to the idea of uh, long-term care planning, what does that look like? And how does an agent walk a client through that process? I know, Mike, you said that you have kind of the series of questions that you sort of start out with, you ask, you might have to ask multiple times. But let's say, you know, what do you do if somebody already has coverage, but maybe it's not enough coverage? How do you determine something like that? And what can you do with that? Well, you know, first I applaud them for buying at least some coverage early on because that, you know, that in and of itself can certainly serve as a foundation to to build upon. But again, I think it's taking into consideration what, you know, basically it's how much risk can they take and how much risk do they want to transfer to an insurance company. And I think one of the challenges that the industry has created that's kind of gotten into the mindset that I need to buy a long-term care plan that's going to cover 100% of the cost of care. That's that's just not realistic. It's not financially affordable, and it's you know setting everybody up for a bad experience. So looking at what they can afford, looking at what the cost of care is, and then you know filling in the gaps. And you know, on one hand, I'm not a fan of the something is better than nothing, but I I, I am a fan of something is better than nothing as it relates to long-term care because there's a lot of other aspects that people kind of lose sight of in the policy of having a policy what that affords in terms of not just the financial relief that it provides, but some of that emotional relief that it can provide and some of those other ancillary benefits in the long-term care policies, care coordination and things of that nature that really provides a a tremendous value proposition, a value add by having some long-term care coverage. So it's, you know, again, it's looking at all of the pieces of their plan and making sure that they integrate, you know, as, as one. Okay. 
what recent changes have either of you seen in the long-term care planning space, be that insurance-driven or otherwise, you know, not to not mention the elephant in the room. Obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now, so I'm sure that that is also something that has added to what's happening right now with planning. Is there a pandemic going on? I, I <laughs> that's uh, interesting you say that, Sarah. Hmm. Um, kidding aside, uh, yeah, the I'll, I'll take it first, and then Mike certainly feel free to chime in. And I think that brings up another important point that all of our listeners, all of the Ritter agents, and others want to keep in mind, which is there's a big difference between long-term care planning and long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about long-term care planning, we can't do it in a vacuum, and we can't only look at long-term care insurance. Quite frankly, said the insurance guy. By the way. And that's because for various reasons, an insurance solution may or may not be appropriate for that individual, for that client. Mm -hmm. So when we take a step back and we look at what's going on with long-term care planning, look, we've had some fits and starts and skids with long-term care insurance, for example, which maybe we'll talk a little bit more about. And there are reasons for that, but it's left with some agents and advisors, left them with a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth which may lead them to believe that, okay, there must be another solution out there. Well, let's talk about, for example, the government for a minute. If I'm talking about my long-term care planning, so like Mike said, you talk to that client, you ask them the question, so how would you pay for that? We really have two buckets that we can extract from to pay for it, and they are the private bucket and the public bucket. And that private bucket really is either an insurance option, something where I'm shifting risk and I'm taking a dollar in premium today, to create a much bigger pool of money I can extract from to pay for long-term care needs, or I can just pay cash out of my pocket, which is not necessarily the most cost-effective way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. That other bucket is the public bucket. And that's worth pointing out because in that public bucket, we really have three main components there. We've got Medicare, Medicaid, and VA. Now let's take VA first. VA and the potential long-term care benefits it can provide can be very valuable. The challenge with that, without getting into too much depth, we don't have time today, I don't think, but the challenge with that is that it's very limited in terms of the scope of individuals that it might be applicable to. You have to have served during a period of wartime, and there are asset and income limitations. And in fact, recently, they changed and instituted a look-back period for VA benefits. So in other words, where you used to have the ability to transfer a million dollars away today and qualify for VA long-term care benefits tomorrow, you can't do that anymore. They've instituted a Medicaid-esque, if you will, look-back period that prevents that loophole, if you will. So the two of those things together have made that VA funding mechanism potentially that much more limited, if you will. Mm -hmm. Medicare, as the group listening to this broadcast knows better than I do, really can't be counted on as a long-term care financing mechanism. That's not what it's intended for. And, you know, all you have to do is open up Medicare and you, and you don't have to look too far and you can find language that specifically says that in the government booklet that many of us live by, right? Which leaves Medicaid and Medicaid, whether we like it or not, is a big payer of long-term care expenses. It's a joint federal and state program. The state, as long as it meets certain guidelines that the Fed puts forth, gets half of its funding or more from the federal government. The challenge with Medicaid is that, yes, it pays for a lot of the expenses for long-term care, roughly half, actually, throughout the whole country, believe it or not. 
But in order for me to get to that particular bucket, if you will, there are certain things that I have to do. There are asset and income or resource guidelines that I have to meet and so forth. You have those look back periods that a lot of our listeners have heard of as well. So if I do give away money, I have to wait a period of time before I can qualify for Medicaid and so forth. In fact, by way of example, here in the state of New York, you used to be able to have do unlimited gifting or transfers and qualify for Medicaid home care here in the state of New York, arguably the next day or the next month, technically. Wow. Well, they did away with that this year. You know, they've closed that loophole now. We now have a look back period for home care transfers in the state of New York. More detail than our listeners probably want on that, Sarah. But the reason I bring it up is because while we may look at some of the private financing solutions, the insurance products, if you will, and say, boy, we've got some challenges there. We do, but they're getting better. Mm-hmm. You can't look to the public bucket that I described and say, oh, I'll just let the federal government or the state government handle it because they're sending very clear messages that, hey, we can't afford to do this. Don't count on us. As we've kind of talked about planning and how we plan with long-term care as we're speaking with our clients, as you've mentioned, it's not just long-term care insurance. You know, there are these combination benefit products. Mike, you had mentioned short-term care for potentially when LTC is not available or when we're waiting through that period of time to figure out, you know, can we be underwritten or is this policy going to be issued? So it's always helpful to know which of those products to pitch to clients because some are just going to be a better fit than others. Is there a distinguishing feature that you've found, either of you have found, that makes a client choose one product over another, or is it more of a combination of reasons? I mean, I'll take a stab at this one. Uh, I would say it's probably the latter, Sarah. It's a combination of of factors that ultimately will determine what might be the best. So, and again, it's ultimately what it's about is finding the best solution for the client. We can go one of the. I think one of the things that agents can create a challenge for themselves is going in with a preconceived idea of what that solution should be. I mean, I could go in and meet somebody who is worth several million dollars and think that they're going to maybe be a candidate or best for a combination product because they have the money to fund that type of a product. But ultimately, medically, if we can't get them underwritten. It doesn't really matter. We've got to we've got to go to another solution. So I think the best approach for the agent is to really go into it with an open mind. You know, doing that medical prequalification, doing the financial prequalification. And if I'm approaching it from the standpoint of Mr. and Mrs. Client, I'm here as a subject matter expert to find the best solution for you, not. I'm here to sell you a long-term care product mm-hmm. puts you in a much better position in that you're doing the you're going to do the due to help the client to do the due diligence and inform them so that they can make the best decision. And kind of going back to your previous question, you know, I don't think there's ever been a better time to talk to a client about long-term care planning because of the evolution of all of the different types of solutions that are available today. The scope of individuals that we can touch with a solution goes from somebody who has relatively little income and is could be very unhealthy to, again, to the ultra-wealthy and showing them why it might be a better, more effective way to self-insure utilizing one of those types of products. So we have a very broad scope of individuals that we can assist from a planning perspective mm-hmm. with, with the evolution of the products that we have available today as advisors. 
Bob, do you have anything to add to that? No, Mike did a great job. The only thing that I would extend, I guess, is what I would say to that, Sarah, would be to say that Mike is absolutely right. What we find, our, probably our biggest roadblock is, once again, and I've said this a couple times, human nature. We talked about it at the beginning when you were talking about the Limber study. Human nature, either at the agent or advisor level or at the consumer level, uh, can be a roadblock at times. And, and I guess the best example I can give to that is when you talk about which solution might fit best, for example, is there, there appears to be in my very general observation, I've got no you know, empirical data to share with you on this, Sarah, but in my observation, there is a certain sentiment on some agent and advisor's parts to say, well, gee, I don't like that traditional long-term care insurance because either A, you know, the rates keep going up or B, you know, what happens if I never use it? You know, how much do I get back? Those are two completely valid human nature reactions to what we've seen with the traditional long-term care insurance product. Now, the flip side of that is, well, the, the rates are more stable now than they've arguably ever been. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen studies from the Society of Actuaries to kind of bear that out. And the reality is that it's an insurance product. It's a pure insurance product, traditional long-term care insurance, that is. So mm -hmm. it's like your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance or your liability insurance, if you have it. And so the question becomes, well, what do you get back from those insurances if you never use them? And the answer is, generally speaking, nothing. But for some reason, when we start talking about long-term care insurance, there seems to be this knee-jerk reaction to say, well, I've got to get something back, maybe because the premium for a long-term care insurance policy is more than it is generally for a homeowner's policy or for a, a car policy. So I get that. I understand that. So that's the, the bad news. <laughs> I guess the good news I would say is that we have solutions for that. To Mike's point, regardless of what they think might be best for them, if that's what's preventing them from getting over the fence and doing proper planning, you know, that maybe that disposition, predisposition not to like traditional long-term care insurance, okay, you want something with a guaranteed premium, you want something that will provide a death benefit in addition to a meaningful long-term care benefit, we got you covered. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that's something that people really don't think about, you know, that you do have these other policies that you don't get anything back from, you know, why would you get back something, you know, from a policy that yes, is going to be a little bit more expensive because your life is worth much more than your car or your home. So as we're kind of speaking of some of those objections to long-term care and traditional long-term care. What about underwriting? That seems to be something that sometimes people seem really concerned with, that underwriting is a problem. They seem kind of scared of it. Is it really that difficult to get a traditional long-term care policy underwritten? I'll maybe take it at first, and then I'll turn it over to Mike for his thoughts. The, the short answer is, well, no, I guess it's all how we define really difficult, right, Sarah? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess what I would say is that on the scale, if we were to put life insurance and long-term care insurance and disability insurance, you could throw Medicare in there and certain, you know, if you're living in a state would qualify medically and so forth. It's, it's, a, it's a, a progression, if you will. So there are certain products that are going to be a little easier to qualify for medically, right? A lot of your final expense products are guaranteed issue. So you don't have to worry about underwriting with them. Then you go up the scale a little bit 
And then you have other life insurance. Well, life insurance, at least over certain face amounts, is going to be underwritten, but it's going to be underwritten for mortality. In other words, the number of people in a given age group that are going to die in a given year based on what the actuaries determine, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on my health condition as it relates to what a normal, let's put that in air quotes, Sarah, what a normal person's health might look like to the extent I have a health condition that puts me further along the spectrum of potentially shortening my lifespan or life expectancy, okay, that's going to have an adverse impact on my life insurance rate in general terms. Same thing with long-term care and disability protection, long-term care in particular. Is it really that difficult? Well, we underwrite long-term care, at least a traditional product, on a morbidity standpoint. In other words, that same spectrum I described But rather than how far along the spectrum am I in terms of having a shorter life expectancy, like we look at with life insurance, how Mm. far along that spectrum am I in terms of potentially having a long-term care event, being unable to perform some of those six activities of daily living, bathing, eating, dressing, toileting, transferring, incontinence, to the extent I have a medical condition or I'm taking a medication or I'm being treated for something that puts me further along, okay, that's going to pose a potential issue for me. What I would say to, again, what Mike brought up earlier about asking questions, vitally, vitally important that we pre-underwrite. We have, Ritter has questionnaires where if you just take a little bit of time up front and ask a few health questions, you can get a pretty good idea of whether that individual is going to have a difficult time getting through underwriting. So if I had maybe takeaway number one for the Ritter agents listening today, Sarah, I'd say pre-underwrite. We have an underwriter on staff. Mike knows him very well. A lot of Ritter agents have talked to him. His name is Pete Kelly. And he is, as I affectionately like to call him, the I got this guy, I got this girl guy. So it's where that Ritter agent can call and say, Pete, here's the situation. My prospect, my client is taking such and such medication. They had a knee replacement a month and a half ago. They had a heart attack 10 years ago, whatever it might be. What do you think? And between the consult that Pete can provide and the form where we can gather some of that information, we can typically 70% of those situations and say, we're pretty confident we can give you the thumbs up that this individual is worthy of putting in an application, as opposed to not doing that, putting in the application anyway and having a high percentage of those people come back as being declined or modified in what they get back and having both the client and the agent be disappointed by that. Right, right. And then from there, I would think that once you you identify, you know, that 30% that you cannot necessarily underwrite into a traditional long-term care policy, there are other options. You know, that's not necessarily the end of the road for that client. There are plenty of other options that you can get them into something that would still provide coverage for them. Now, going back to the whole idea of, yes, we are in a pandemic right now, how has underwriting changed or what does it look like now because of COVID-19? Has there been an effect on it? Yeah, I I feel like I'm jumping in on you, Mike. I know if you have a comment, yeah, feel free to to add on here. What I'll say, I'll talk generally and and then I'll give Mike an opportunity to add on as well. It's been interesting, Sarah. We've seen a little bit of a pendulum effect. Earlier in the year here in 2020, and here we are in November 2020, earlier in the year, really in the heat of early on in the pandemic, back in not so much March, but certainly April, May, June, July a number of the long-term care carriers scaled back. 
they limited the issue age. In other words, you had to be under a particular age in order to even apply for long-term care coverage. Uh, there were certain conditions that at least temporarily at that time, they said, yeah, we're not taking anybody with these conditions. Um, so we've seen the pendulum shift back now to where, you know, at least one of those carriers that comes to mind off top of my head, they've, they've removed that cap on the issue age that they had in place for a while. They're starting to redevelop a comfort level from an issue age standpoint. Conditions are still a concern. So if you're at those older ages and you have respiratory issues, the underwriters are just plain going to take a really, really close look at that. I don't see that changing anytime soon. The other thing that we've seen, frankly, from a process standpoint, Sarah, is we've seen a willingness on the part of the carriers, either traditional long-term care insurance or the life carriers with the riders, where they don't necessarily need to see you in person. Mm -hmm. They're willing to rely on electronic medical records. They're willing to rely on phone interviews where they might have really buckled down and said, we really need to see this person. We need to do a live paramedical exam. They've scaled back on that quite a bit for obvious reasons, because a lot of people don't want to get together and see anybody face to face right now. So we've seen that as well. Right. Mike, do you have anything that you'd like to add there? No, I mean, I would just echo what, you know, Bob said. I'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see as, you know, we're now in this case is beginning to rise again, you know, with the face-to-face -face interviews at some of those older ages. If, you know, if we kind of go back to some of those limitations that we had maybe early on in the pandemic, or they learned enough during that kind of first phase of this that they're comfortable with, you know, kind of working through the, the rise in the rise in cases over the winter months. The only thing I would say about, you know, underwriting Sarah is nobody likes surprises. You know, that 15 minute conversation that Bob alluded to earlier uh, to gather some data up front, some medical information using either the AIB pre-call worksheet or the worksheet that we have, which is basically very similar to what to what Bob's team uses, can save you and your client hours and our staff hours of aggravation of going through an underwriting process. And, and, you know, nobody wants to set their client up for a bad experience and, and not spending that 15 minutes up front can do exactly that. They set everybody up for a bad experience. So take the couple minutes, get some information, get it to us, get it to Pete so we can do some due diligence and position everybody for a good experience. Right. So that's a little bit of the underwriting and a little bit on some of the enrollment. Are there any other ways that COVID has affected the long-term care industry? I think actually without at the risk of this coming across as sounding as an opportunist, I think, you know, again, nobody wanted to go to a nursing home before a global pandemic. Nobody definitely wants to go to a nursing home after COVID-19. So we have up until, you know, this whole COVID-19, we had focused our attention on staying at home as long as possible. So I think what COVID-19 is going to do is just reemphasize having those conversations, beginning those planning conversations, understanding the importance of planning, because you don't know. You don't know if, you don't know when, you don't know for how long, you don't know what those scenarios are gonna be. And nobody said you need to buy insurance, but what you do need to have is a plan, right? And if you get sick and need care, you gotta have a plan. And without that plan, it can create long lasting, devastating effects, not just financially, but also within the family. And I think COVID-19 is going to just kind of emphasize or reinforce the importance of, of having those planning conversations as early as possible. 
So maybe as a result of COVID-19, people will be more receptive to that discussion and to that conversation than they had been in the past. Yeah, you know, I think you're still going to have to be patiently persistent because it's again, it's still obviously we're still at a, at a point in time, I think, where it's still pretty raw. So, again, it's how you position, mm-hmm. you know, it's how you position that conversation. I don't think you necessarily want to jump right in, uh, you know, into the deep end of the of the conversation right now in the middle of the pandemic. But I think right. uh, at least beginning to you know kind of plant some seeds and inter- introduce some of those questions into that planning conversation, I think, is is probably appropriate. Right. One other thing I'd add, Sarah, just to finish up on the point, if you don't mind, and that is, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, the Limmer study, which was obviously in a different direction than what I'll allude to. Limmer did another study and a number of other organizations did studies earlier in the year in the midst of the height of the pandemic in early 2020. What we saw and a lot of firms like ours saw was an increase in activity on the life insurance side. So mm-hmm. it's terrible to think of it this way. And Mike used the phrase opportunistic in a kind of a tongue in cheek way, but he's right. I mean, we, we have an opportunity, one would argue, we have an obligation to have these conversations with our clients and prospects. And we definitely saw an increase in the willingness to have and even the proactive way in which consumers reached out to find out more about life insurance. Now, I didn't see any similar studies specific to long-term care insurance, but I think we'd be I don't know, remiss if we thought that there wasn't a similar receptiveness to having conversations about long-term care planning, especially to Mike's point of doing everything I can to stay out of a nursing home with some of the unfortunate results that we've seen and incidents we've seen of people in nursing homes because of the pandemic. Absolutely. Our, Our clients view us as trusted advisors. All right. Whether that's Medicare, whether that's life insurance, long-term care, with financial planning, whatever the case may be, they view us as trusted advisors. And right now we're living in a world of uncertainty. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, having those conversations with our clients to just do do reviews, to make sure that our clients understand what coverages they have, what coverages they don't have. So if something does happen, they are not, again, nobody likes surprises. No, they and the family are not surprised. So now is a great time to be reaching out to clients, if, if for no other reason, just to let them know that we're here. If they have questions, if they need anything to do those reviews, it's a great time to be doing that. Right. And you can always start that out with just, you know, how are you doing right now? Because that's, I I think everyone wants someone to be able to talk to about how they're (laughs) they're doing right now and how they're handling all of this. Um, Because obviously, you know, we've been working from home and doing this for a lot longer than I think any of us really imagined. And with the length of the pandemic, it's brought a lot of economic stress that has caused the interest rates to remain low. I know just last week, the Fed announced that, again, they kind of doubled down on what they said in September that, you know, they think the rates are going to remain low. When it comes to those linked benefit LTC products that are obviously tied to how the markets are doing, what is the effect of those low interest rates on those products? Well, I, you know, it's it's an interesting question once again, Sarah. And I would, I'll answer the question, but then I'll also add to it if you don't mind. What I mean by that is there's no question that those link benefit products, which we're referring to the life insurance and annuity products that have the riders to pay for long-term care, that basically generate an additional pool of money to pay for long-term care, if you will, beyond the death benefit or the annuity value, they're interest sensitive in and of themselves in their pricing. So what we have seen carriers do is raise pricing. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I I kind of carve that out 
and now I want to take a step back, is that the reality is that every insurance product is interest sensitive. And without getting too technical with our listeners today, I'm sure I would put them asleep if I really got into this, which I, I certainly can do and have done before. But interest rates are arguably the biggest component of the performance of a block of insurance business and the way the premiums and the reserving for those products are structured. So what does that mean to our conversation here? Yes, the link benefit products have been under pricing pressure to have premiums or dollars increased, which has resulted in just raw premiums going up, the interior performance of the policy, if you will, like those policies that generate cash value. There's been pressure on those values. There's been pressure on certain key features of those products, length of guarantees, you know, when do I vest in that return of premium guarantee? So there've been a number of things that have been impacted by interest rates there, but interest rates in general have had an impact on all insurance, whether it's your car insurance or homeowner's insurance and what have you. But with the life insurance, with the long-term care insurance, they're impacted more, more significantly. So that's one of the things that we've seen with some of the challenges we've seen in long-term care insurance pricing you know, the Fed keeping rates as low as they have been at near zero or close to it rates. At number one, it's unprecedented, but it puts tremendous pressure once again on these products. The good news, let's put that in air quotes, if you don't mind. Uh, the good news is that with, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, the, the traditional long-term care insurance has been impacted more significantly than most other lines of insurance by the ongoing low interest rate environment. Yes, the degree to which we've seen it because of the pandemic has gone lower still, but this low interest rate environment is something we've been contending with for the better part of the last dozen years or so. In fact, that's one of the things that has led to the increased premiums on traditional long-term care insurance. The good news there is that the pricing as it is now is automatically pricing in lower than ever expected returns that the insurance companies get. So they're better insulated than they would have been five or 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, presuming higher rates of return that they might earn on their investments. So reserving has gotten a little bit of a break. Pricing has gotten a little more stable. But it, hey, look, interest rates have an adverse impact, not only on the link benefit products, but others as well. Right, right. Now, why have the rates on traditional LTC insurance gone up so much? And is that going to continue? I'll, I'll continue with that one, if you don't mind, Sarah, and then let Mike <laughs> chime in. Well, I started the answer that I think in part. Mm -hmm. and, and there really were, I'm going to say three main components, arguably two components, and I'll split one of them in two. The interest rates were certainly the biggest component and the biggest cause, if you will, of the increase, not only in new business for long-term care insurance. So if I'm buying it today, the premium that I'm paying today, everything else being equal, is probably three times what it would have been 10 or 12 or 15 years ago for the same product, presuming I was buying the same product, right? So that we've seen. Unfortunately, we've also seen increases on enforced blocks of long-term care insurance business. And the interest rate environment over that 12 to 15 year period that I alluded to a moment ago has been the biggest driver of that. The other big driver, part two, if you will, has been lapse rates. Now, lapse rates, or what we sometimes refer to as persistency rates, basically means, hey, of all the policies being issued today, Sarah, what percentage of those policies are still going to be in force five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now? Well, long-term care insurance has a pretty lengthy tail to it, if you will. That is the time between issuance and going on claim. 
uh, life insurance arguably longer still. But what that means is that I have to presume not only a particular interest rate I can earn on my invested premiums, but also that a certain percentage of people will do what? They'll lapse their coverage. Mm -hmm. And early on, long-term care insurance was predicting, generally speaking, 93, 94, 95% persistency, meaning that percentage of people would keep their policies over a long period of time. What we have found is that actual persistency has been like more like 98 and 99%. Now, our knee-jerk reaction to that, Sarah, might be, well, that's great. That means more people have the coverage in place when they need that. The bad news, go ahead with your air quotes again, the bad news with that, thank you, is that more people will have the coverage in force when they need it. What I mean by that is that in addition to having more people with the coverage than they anticipated, that means more people are going to do what? And this is the part two of the part two. They're going to go on claim. So this perfect storm of a low interest rate environment combined with a much higher percentage of people keeping their policies. And the result of that is more people go on claim. So that's a kind of a compacted view of what's happened with pricing. Again, I would remind our agents, though, that are listening that that's kind of looking through the rear view mirror. If we look out through the windshield, the insurance carriers are pricing their long-term care insurance today, reflecting that lower interest rate environment, reflecting that higher persistency rate. That's why the rates are higher today than they were 10 or 15 years ago. I hope that helps and I'll shut up and let Mike chime in. No, I would, you know, again, it's a, it's a, it's a good news, bad news, right? You know, the bad, bad news, it's more expensive. Good news is it's more expensive. So, you know, there's far less likelihood that, you know, those people buying long-term care today are going to see the substantial rate increases as we've seen on those older blocks of business. It may mean that we've got to be a little bit more strategic and surgical in that plan design so that we find a benefit. Again, it doesn't matter which product we're talking about, but finding a benefit where the benefit makes sense and it's a premium that the client can afford. So, you know, the, the panacea of agents who, you know, we talk to a lot of agents like, I sold a lot of long-term care back in the day, you mm -hmm. know, 15, 20 years ago. And the benefits that we were selling are completely different than the benefits today. Well, you can have inexpensive premiums and liberal underwriting and have an expectation that premiums are going to remain stable over a long period of time. It just doesn't make sense. So it's a new world. It's a new reality. But the planning, the planning options are just as viable today as they were 15 or 20 years ago. Right. It all comes down to the planning. It's all about the plan. Now, Bob, you recently wrote a white paper that acts as sort of a snapshot of the industry right now with some insight as to the effect of COVID on the LTC industry as well. Can you tell us any more details about that white paper without giving too much of the contents away? Well, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, Sarah, because those, that white paper is selling for big dollars on eBay today. So I, I want to be kind of, uh, well, we're kidding, of course. Um, no, it's. I, I think that I covered a lot of ground in that white paper, and purposely so, and, and I wrote it for this Long-Term Care Insurance Awareness Month. We've covered a lot of ground in our conversation, and I think we've touched on a lot of the things that I go into, arguably, a little bit more depth in the paper. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that I would add to our conversation, and Mike touched on this a little while ago, is try not to predispose yourself as an agent or an advisor, try not to predispose yourself to think, boom, this is the product that everybody should have. 
gee, I don't like what I've seen with traditional long-term care insurance. So I only talk about this linked benefit product, or I only show my clients the life insurance product with the acceleration rider on the death benefit. I would urge anybody listening, any of the agents listening to take a step back and look at the various options, because what you'll find and I'm being generalized here, but I, again, I go into more depth in the white paper, you'll find that on a pure benefit per premium dollar basis, believe it or not, even with the increases we've talked about, traditional long-term care insurance is still the best, most efficient private insurance product to handle the pure long-term care planning need, bar none, just hands down. Now, to Mike's point that he was making before as well, there's a reason for that. And to expand on that, the reason for that is when we're pricing that long-term care product, which is, I would say, more stable today than it's been in the past, we're doing what? We're pricing for just the long-term care potential event. The minute we start talking about either a linked benefit product or a life insurance product with an acceleration rider on the death benefit, well, now we're adding an additional component, a death benefit, a return of premium option, a guarantee on that premium. Each of those benefits costs money, so it's not free. And the mistake that I find that is made, and I'll leave it at this and turn it back to you, Sarah, is that the mistake that I find is agents or advisors will do the comparison and they'll do the following. They'll look at a life insurance product with the acceleration rider, say for chronic illness. They'll look at the guaranteed universal life with a $300,000 death benefit and it's got the acceleration rider. So the client's got 300,000 they can use for chronic illness if they need it. And that is a great design for the right client. And we write those all day long. But then if it's purely the long-term care plan that we're trying to fund, then we look at traditional long-term care insurance. We create a similar $300,000 pool of long-term care benefit. And agents and advisors will sometimes say, well, look how expensive that traditional long-term care is. But what they're doing is they're adding on ancillary benefits to the traditional long-term care, the biggest of which is inflation, which are not represented in the life insurance option. So the reason I'm bringing this up is make sure that you're A, taking a step back, comparing the options, and more importantly, comparing them fairly. Because if you look at a similar level of benefit for long-term care in traditional, compared with say that life insurance option, the traditional long-term care insurance, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, is always gonna be less expensive. So then we need to have the conversation about, okay, how important is a premium guarantee and how important is the death benefit? Because that's where those life products and linked benefits can come in and provide additional coverage that is more challenging for the long-term care, traditional long-term care insurance product to provide. Right, right. Now, of course, we will have that white paper available in our notes for this episode. We highly recommend that you guys download a copy and read through it. There are a lot of important takeaways in there. And as Bob said, there are a lot more details in there than what we've just mentioned here. And I think one of my favorite things from that paper and the the blog on AIB is that adoption of the windshield perspective rather than a rear view mirror perspective. So to close it out, I have one final question for each of you, and that is, what is the windshield perspective? What does that look like to you, Bob? Well, it's it, thank you. That was a terribly loaded question, sir, and thank you for that. Uh, no, it's kidding aside. It's it's very tempting for us, whether we are inherently pessimistic or optimistic, but certainly if we're pessimistic, it's very easy for us to say, look, I know I should be having these long-term care planning conversations. I realize, Bob, what you're saying, Mike, what you're saying, that November is a perfect month to do it, given the month that we're in. 
But man, oh man, look what's happened with traditional long-term care insurance. And I know I keep gravitating back to that as my example, Sarah, but I'm doing that on purpose. It's very easy to look in that rearview mirror and say, aha, I'm not going to talk about traditional long-term care insurance because as I look in that rearview mirror, I see what's happened with long-term care insurance in the past. And I reach the conclusion that since it has happened in the past, it's going to what? happen in the future. And that's what I'm going to see if I look out the windshield. That's simply not true. I think it's vitally important that the agent look at that and and recognize where we've been. I'm not saying ignore it, but recognize that's where we have been. And if we're driving, it is much more important to look out the windshield to see where you're going. Know that today, the pricing and the structure of that long-term care insurance product, and I, again, I know I'm focusing on traditional long-term care insurance. We write it all and we're very agnostic in terms of the the products, but traditional long-term care insurance is much more stable today. Regardless of the product that you're looking at, look out the windshield and see where we are and where we're going. Don't be so caught up with looking in the rearview mirror to see where we've been. Excellent answer. Now, what about you, Mike? What is your windshield perspective? I think I'm going to end where we started with our relationship with AIB. And, you know, Ritter is obviously very Medicare centric, and I have no false expectations that many, many of our agents are not going to become long-term care product specialists. But what I would expect, and I would challenge our agents to become, is opportunity experts. And what I mean by that is to recognize the opportunity that they have with their clients to have the conversation raise the conversation with their client about what happens if they get sick and need some type of care because Medicare does not cover, does not pay for extended long-term care. And recognize the trust that we've placed in the relationship that we have with AIB to be able to have, again, subject matter experts that are there. All they have to do is pick up the phone and call and we can provide, AIB can provide all of that back office support that they need to confidently and comfortably have that conversation with a client about long-term care and hold their hand through that process so they don't have to be the expert. That's what AIB is there for in that relationship. And AIB has subject matter experts in that if the agent just wants to hand that client off and have somebody else do the work for them and still be able to get paid on the case, we have that referral process set up so that the agent doesn't have to take their eye off the ball of what their primary market is. So we've gone to great lengths, you know, to work and develop those those resources and provide that extended service and support, expand our solutions when it comes to long-term care. With November being Long-Term Care Awareness Month, we really, again, appreciate, you know, Sarah, you affording us the opportunity to do, do the podcast and, and share this with our with our agents and all your other, other listeners. But, you know, I thought ending where we started would be a good way to uh, put a bow on the, the conversation. Absolutely. That's always a a good tactic to use to uh, end by following up with your point at the top of the episode. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I do really appreciate it. And I can't wait to have you guys back to talk again. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Thanks, So great to talk with both Bob and Mike to get their insight on what's currently happening in the long-term care space. During the interview, we mentioned Bob's white paper and the pre-qualification worksheet. We'll be linking to those in our episode notes. They are available in PDF form on our website, 
but you do need to be logged in to view them. If you have not registered at RitterIM.com, no worries. It takes about a minute to fill out the form and log in so you can view those docs. Definitely recommend doing that because Bob's white paper, as he mentioned in the interview, is a deep dive on the LTC industry and it's just full of information to help you as you're selling. In addition to the white paper and pre-qualification worksheet PDFs, we'll be linking to some additional podcast episodes. We have covered long-term care in a few episodes prior to this one, so make sure you check those out. We will also have links to our blog and AIB's blog where you can find out more information. And if you want to learn even more about LTC, we host a monthly long-term care webinar. So we will be linking to that registration in our episode notes as well. Check out those links. And if you love this episode, let us know. If you want to hear more just like it, make sure you're subscribed to our feed so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this installment of the Agent Survival Guide podcast. We will see you next episode. 